You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. Well, it's hard to believe, for me it is anyway. I'm sure it's not hard for you looking at me. But it's hard for me to believe that I've been in Christian ministry now for over 36 years. And over those 36 years, uh, almost four decades, I've gotten pretty deeply into people's lives. And I have come to the conclusion that most Christians live their lives with the feeling that they are a disappointment to God. Like a child that shows his report card to his parent and the parents expected an A, but they only see a C or a D and their head drop in disappointment. Or like the dad who responds with disappointment when his child takes a shot at an open net in that important playoff game, but completely misses the net. I'm a disappointment to God. I'm sure that he wishes that he had someone else as his son or daughter. I think there's many, many Christians that relate to God like that. Uh, That's how they think that God views them. God at most tolerates them, but he wishes that he could trade them away for someone better. The, The truth of the matter is, is that we have a very hard time believing that the Bible says what it means. It means what it says. It that God actually loves us in a way that is far beyond anything that we've ever known from one another. It just seems too unbelievable to be true. So what I want to do today is I want to remind you of what the Bible says on this matter, but I want to do more than that. I want to call you to believe it, and I want to call you to actually build your life on this. So if you can look at John 15, and I'd like to read from verses 9 to 12. John 15, verses 9 to 12. This section of scripture has long fascinated me, and I've often felt like this is one of the most profound passages in all the Bible. John 15, verses 9 to 12. Jesus is speaking, and he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. These verses surprise us on many levels. Uh, Just about every single verse here, if you look at it carefully, you'll realize it challenges our assumptions and our preconceptions about God and how he relates to us. Now, most of us know, if we've been in church for any amount of time, that the greatest commandments all have to do with love. 
But if you're careful when you look at this text, you will see that the emphasis is different here. Notice it moves toward our love of others in verse 12, but that love is definitely the result of something else, something that is far more essential and basic. Do you see what I'm referring to? Jesus begins his discussion in verse nine with the way the father, the way the father loves the son. As the father has loved me, he says. A well-known quote from A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I wonder Is the love of the father for the son one of the first things that you think about when you think about God? For most believers, it's not. And I want to try to change that today. These verses actually have an amazing overflow, a cascading. uh, You remember on, if any of you have ever been on a cruise, I was taken on a cruise many years ago. And, uh, my, my father-in-law took our whole family and, and, and if you've been there, you, you notice they got this, this champagne thing where they, they got the one champagne glass and then there's four and then there's about 15 and then there's about 40 and then there's like about 150 and they pour the big champagne bottle on the top and it cascades down and it becomes a, a waterfall. This is what we find in these verses. There's an overflow of the father's love to the son and then that love is, uh, overflows from the son to us and then it overflows from us to others. In other words, those most loved are most loving and happy. Those most loved are most loving and happy. And I'd like to get into the why, why the happiness piece is there at, near the end of the message. So our discussion today begins with an invitation. Look with me again at verse nine. Something absolutely astonishing is revealed to us in this verse. You know, it's so easy to read the Bible and not really think about what we're reading. But verse nine is an astonishing verse. Uh, This should take our breath away. Uh, This should shock us. If, If this verse doesn't shock you, you haven't understood what it's saying. Jesus is making a direct comparison between the way that God the Father loves him and the way that he loves us. Now, this couldn't refer to the way God the Father has loved God the Son in eternity as God. The way an infinite person loves another infinite person is beyond comparison. It's not replicated in finite creatures. Uh, God the the Father loves the Son with a perfect delight by seeing the perfect reflection of himself in the Son. God delights in perfection and sees that perfection in his Son. But this is not what it's referring to in this verse. So if this verse is not referring to the eternal love of God the Father for God the Son, then what is it referring to? 
Well, the love that's spoken of here in verse 9 is the love the father has for his son as he lived as a man, as he functioned as the incarnate one, as he lived as our representative on earth. This is a really important principle in scripture. When, when Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, he was showing us, he was accomplishing many things. And one of the things he was doing, he was, he was showing us what God had in, intended for humanity to be like from the start. Did you know that in scripture, he's called the last Adam? He, he was demonstrating the life of obedience to the father that the first Adam completely failed to do. So Jesus, as, as a perfect human being, perfectly obedient to the Father's will, well, in that relationship, the Father loves Christ, okay? He loved his son forever in eternity. That's without question. But he is now loving him in time as the incarnate son. David Brown captures this thought well in the following quotation. I don't know if we have it. I don't know, maybe it's too small for you guys to see on the big screen. Just listen carefully. As his own son in our nature, the father's affection went out to him as the son of man. And just as a human father on beholding the cordial and constant obedience of his own child, feels his own affection thereby irresistibly drawn out to him. So every beauty of the son's incarnate character and every act of his obedience rendered him more lovely in the father's eye and drew fresh love to him. I love the way the New Living Translation expresses this thought. A voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. See, this, this love that the father was expressing to the incarnate son was a love that, that uh, involved delight in the, the one loved and a desire to do good for the one loved. Now, notice it says in verse nine, that it says that as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That Christ loves us in the same way, with the same kind of de delight and desire to do good for us that the Father has for him. To, to, to abide in love, to abide in his love for us, then is to, to live in the good of it. Instead of living with this foreboding sense of being a disappointment to God that so many believers live with. We are instead to live with a sense of his welcome, his acceptance, his delight in us. You see, this, in this passage, Jesus is inviting every believer in Christ to this kind of life. This is not this is not an invitation to the elite, super spiritual people. This is, this is an invitation to every believer in Christ to abide in his love that way, 
to live in the good of the way we are loved by him. To live continually with a sense of Christ's love for us. To be able to say with the Apostle Paul, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, of course, the big question is, how does a believer in Christ abide in his love? Because it's obvious that many Christians, we could even say maybe most Christians, are not living this way. They're not living with a sense that God loves them deeply. They're not walking through their day with a sense that they are loved by God and under God's favor. Well, this takes us to our next point. We go from the invitation in verse nine to the condition, the condition required in order to abide in Christ's love, the condition to abide in Christ's love. Now, now notice the way to keep Christ's love is again patterned on the way Christ abides in the Father's love. Let's read verse 10 again. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, remember, what we're talking about here is the way that the Son relates to the Father as a man. Okay, we're not talking about his eternal deity, his relationship is in his, his eternal relations as, as God, the, God the Son and God the Father in the way that they're relating. We're talking about the Father relating to the Son as a man. And the question is, in what way did Christ live in obedience to the Father as a man? Well, in one sense, we could say very accurately, well, he was obedient in everything. So Jesus says, I always do what pleases him. But in the New Testament, when it speaks about Christ's obedience, it is usually referring to the giving of himself to die for us on the cross. Listen to these scriptures that kind of bring this flow, this, this emphasis to us. When Christ came into the world, he said, I have come to do your will, my God. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Then listen to this very significant verse. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' journey to the cross was an act of obedience. And then he says this astonishing uh, thought in John 10, 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. You see, the, the first Adam uh, disobeyed God and by his disobedience, he plunged humanity into alienation from God and more than that, the loss of God himself. And now the last Adam, Jesus Christ, obeys the Father perfectly. And by obeying the Father perfectly, 
He lives near to God and he abides in his love. What, what Jesus did for us, my friends, is he demonstrates what God had originally intended for humanity. This is the way we would all be living now if we hadn't had the fall in the garden. Now in verse 10, Jesus says, in the same way, we abide in Christ's love for us by keeping his commands. And then if you look down to verse 12, he further defines what this is. He says, we love others. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We, we love others the way he loved us. So the way that we abide in Christ's love is by loving others in a certain way, the way he loved us, okay? So we abide in the love of Christ for us by loving others, but it's not just loving others by our definition, it's loving others in a particular way. It's the way he loved us that we are to love others. Well, how did he love us? Well, here we come around again in another circle. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He loved us by sacrificing himself for us, by, by putting our interests before his own, by, by dying in our place. The way that Jesus preeminently showed his love for us was by dying for us, by standing in our stead. And so it says in 1 John, by the same author, of course, of the Gospel of John, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Well, what does this look like practically? Well, I can't exhaust it, but let me give you four practical ways that, that this kind of love is, is evidenced in our life, a way that we're, 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 we're moving away from ourself, living away from ourselves for others, a self-sacrificing love that is, is in a dim way reflecting the, the way that Christ loved us. And by the way, you'll see that all of these four uh, things that I'm about to show you are really uh, manifestations of what I would call cruciform living, a cross-shaped living. That's the way we are to be living. God's calling us to be people that inhabit the cross. Our, our life reflects the cross very dimly, but it still reflects the cross in the way we relate to one another. So number one, a way that, that we show this kind of love to one another a pavior and your root high and the evil at all. This morning, I bet most of you didn't thank God for life, but you just took it for granted that you were going to wake up and that's kind of the way it goes. The fact that your heart keeps beating, the fact that life is the way it is for you, uh, that's the way we are. We just kind of forget. We don't thank God for all the things he's giving us all the time. The, 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 the way that the world functions is you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. That's not biblical love. That's not the way Jesus loved us. 
We love others without expecting a payback. Number two, this one's even harder. We love others in a self-forgetful way. We love others in a way that we're not really keeping track of how well we're loving others. Without seeking recognition, respect, or gratitude for what we've done. Scripture says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. Uh, we, 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 we delight when others are honored and the spotlight is on them and they do well. Life goes good for them. Life is better for them than for us. Oh, we're, that makes us happy. That makes us happy when other people are happy. We love others in a self-forgetful way. And number three, this is immediately applicable to us on Sundays, okay? We reach out to people outside our comfort zone. Uh, Listen, the easiest people on the planet to speak to, in most cases, not always, is our family and our friends. Sure, just hang out and talk to your family and friends. That's easy. That's the easy stuff. But break out of that to somebody you don't know and go make it, make it a little uncomfortable for yourself to talk to somebody. Just, just talking to people you don't know on a Sunday is one of the ways you do this. Uh, scripture says, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? That's the words of Jesus there. And then... In a particular way, this last one I think matters. I mentioned this on Wednesday night. I find it very significant that Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Wow. You want to know how to, you want to you know just completely um, encapsulate the entire law of Christ in one action, bear one another's burdens. We bear the burdens of others. Late last night, I I got an email from Jonathan Dooney that Christine, some of you, uh, they've never been able to join us here at the church in, in person because Christine has cystic fibrosis, which is a very serious lung disease. Uh, he let us know last night that, that um, she just found out that she has a very serious lung infection that's going to require intensive intervention. Um, that's a burden that they're bearing right now that God is calling us to bear with them. We have Samantha Hannemeyer, who's like a, a third of my age, who's got cancer. We've got Nancy Vanderkoy, a senior saint in our church, who's got cancer. You know, when, when people get, can't, can't, everybody doesn't die of cancer. My, my sister got cancer eight years ago, and it was very serious, and she's still alive today. My mom got cancer, and she died very shortly after. Like, but when we get, the, the, when the doctor tells us we've got cancer, most of us are thinking that's a death sentence. Are we bearing the burdens with them? We've got families in this church that have have children, grown children, younger children that are not walking with God. We've got people in our church that have deeply broken marriages. 
We've got people that are grieving. Uh, They've lost someone or they're losing someone right now that's precious to them. Oh, my friends, I I could go on all day about burdens that that we bear internally. Uh, We are called to bear one another's burdens, you see? And that, that costs something to do that. That takes something out of us when we do that, and that's part of what what it means to love one another the way Christ loved us. Perhaps I can better um, explain this, maybe you can understand it better if, if I illustrate it this way, that our enjoyment of Christ's love for us and our expression of love toward Christ, they are intimately linked together in Scripture. Being described here, if, if we obey Christ, particularly his command to love others sacrificially, uh, as we deliberately love others in a way that costs us something, we will at the same time live in the enjoyment of Christ's love for us. Here's, here's what, I, uh, what I want you to understand that this passage is saying. This passage is not saying that uh, if you don't obey, if you don't obey Christ's commands, he doesn't love you. That's not what this passage is saying. What it's saying is this very critical. Enjoy it if, you, if you're up and down in your, in your obedience as a believer. But if you want to enjoy his love for you, you need to be an obedient believer. That's the way it works. So we're not talking about somehow you doing things and then Christ loves you and then, you, and then you're disobedient and he doesn't love you anymore. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about his constant love for you as his child, but you will not enjoy and live and abide in his love if you are disobedient. So what then does this mean for the many Christians that don't live with a sense of being loved by Christ? Well, verse 10 then tells us that it's not just a lack of faith in what Christ says. It's not just, oh, they're not believing what the Bible says. No, it's often a lack of obedience to what Christ says. We love ourselves a bit too much and we love others a bit too little. Those are hard words to hear, aren't they? Those are hard words to hear. This passage comforts the afflicted, but it also afflicts the comfortable. So which comes first? The, the enjoyment of Christ, Christ. Well, that's much like asking what comes first, the chicken or the egg. They, they both produce the other. The child born becomes the mother who gives birth to the child who grows up and becomes the mother who gives birth to the child. They, they, they feed off each other. The key issue is, is this simple truth. If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this, that our enjoyment of God, our enjoyment of God, you know, many of you don't even know what that means because you've never enjoyed God. Okay, that's, that's true. There are genuine believers in Christ who love him and have walked with him for 40 years who have never enjoyed God. Okay, our enjoyment of God. This is what we're talking about today. We're talking about our enjoyment of God. 
not just being in relationship to him, but enjoying that relationship, our enjoyment. Our enjoyment of God is connected to our obedience of him. In particular, how well we love others sacrificially. And here's the surprise in all of this. Look at what we get when we pour out our life in love to others. Look at the outcome. In verse 11, Jesus says, these things, the things he just said, these things I have spoken to you, that purpose statement, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We are given joy. Joy, my friends. Do you see the sequence that's in this, in this text? Christ gives us his love, and then he gives us his joy. Notice it does not say in verse 11 that Christ gives us joy. He doesn't give us joy. He gives us his joy. His joy, the joy that he had in relationship to the Father, he's gonna give us that joy. The joy that Christ had through the power of the Holy Spirit as a man. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. The joy that bears hard things because it sees the good fruit on the other side. Looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Do you realize that Jesus went to the cross? One of the things that, that, that motivated him as he walked toward the cross was joy. Joy. Uh, he saw what was on the other side of all the suffering. This is something that the Holy Spirit gives us as we obey Christ. The kingdom of God is a matter of joy in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17. Uh, here is a wonderful truth. God cares about our happiness. God cares about our happiness. He, but he wants our happiness to be from the right source and he wants our happiness to be directed to the right ends. Did, did you know that this is one of the goals of pastoral ministry? That might surprise you. I want to tell you that Timon and Josh King for your joy. We are working for your joy. One of the things that drives us is we want you to be joyful. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.24, we work with you for your joy. And the apostle Paul says this in Philippians, I will continue with all of you for your progress. Oh, you get that. I think most of us do anyway. For your progress and joy. And joy in the faith. What is often missed about the pursuit of happiness is that it is not found primarily like the world out there tells you. You're being bombarded all the time. Take care of yourself, take care of yourself. But happiness is not found in getting more. It's in giving more. The happiest people I've ever met are the most giving. It's not in taking care of ourselves, it's in taking care of others. 
The selfish people are unhappy people. Selfish people are unhappy people. Just understand that. Unhappy people are selfish. Self-centered people are unhappy. There's nothing, uh, the recipe for unhappiness is real simple. Just live your whole life about yourself. The shortest pathway to joy, my friends, is a life of holiness. And holiness is a loving life. There are so many people that think they're killing their chances of happiness by following God's commands. Too restrictive. You know, I've often thought, imagine, uh, imagine a car, okay, that is somehow turned sideways on a mountain pass and behind the car is the mountain and in front of the car is the guardrail. Now, I know that's a little bit of a weird, weird thought, but this is the way a lot of people relate to God's commands. They're, they, they, they go forward and bump the, the, the guardrail and they go backwards and they, they bump the mountain and they go forward and bump the guardrail and they go, man, God's commands are so restrictive, you can't go anywhere. And you say, well, hey, just turn the car a little bit and you can go for a thousand miles in each direction. You see, it's all the perspective. It's actually the opposite. It's, it's in loving others that we enjoy Christ's love and that is the secret to true joy. So let's sum up what we have learned today. Let's sum it up in four kind of principles of truth. Number one, <clears throat> being a Christian is not just an affirmation of a certain set of beliefs. It is a loving relationship with the person of Christ. Being a Christian is a loving relationship with a person. It's not just a creed that you believe. Number two, in the comfort and the joy of knowing we are deeply loved by God. As important as it is for us to love God and us to love our neighbor, that is not the center. The center is not our love for God. The center is God's love for us. God's love for us that is known and experienced and enjoyed. Out of that flow flows all our love for others and for God. Number three. The shortest pathway to happiness is obedience to Christ. The shortest pathway to happiness is obedience to Christ for it is the pathway of knowing that we are loved by God and knowing you are loved by God is the secret of happiness. And finally, number four, the way we love others reveals more about our actual relationship to God than any other thing about us. The way we love others reveals more about our actual relationship to God than any other thing about us. Let's pray. My Redeemer's love is deeper than the depths of sin and hell. He who was enthroned in glory came to bring us to himself. My Redeemer's love is wider than the breach my sins had made. 
He reached down into my darkness. He alone has power to save. Thank you, O Father, for the love that you have given us in Christ and all the love that you have lavished on Christ that he may lavish it on us. We ask that you would help us to live in the good of that love. Oh, Father, we ask that you would truly make us happy Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.